the suburban schools around New York City, they're way behind New York City. Um, New York City is much more innovative, instructionally, social, emotionally. You know, I was meditating with kids in 2007. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. Okay, today we're talking about de-escalation, parenting, and positive behavioral support, among other things. And hailing all the way from New York City, uh, John Gibellaro and Chelsea Dowling are, are joining me. So thank you guys for being here, man. Thank really, you so much for having us. Yeah, thank really you. Really great. I'm very excited. And fun little fact, I've never been to New York City. Wow. And all I hear is great things about <laughs> it, but I'm just, I can't imagine you know, that city would chew me up. But no. uh, we're very impressed with Cincinnati. <laughs> we are really impressed with Cincinnati. Well, so a uh, company called Peace Talkers that you started. Yes, uh, we'll talk about all that. But first, let me just get some background from both of you on, you know, how you got to where you are and, and some of your story and, you know, we'll just go from there. Um, well, I'll, I will begin. Funny enough, I answered a Craigslist ad and I didn't really know what I would be doing and interviewing with John for the position. We both realize I'm uh, studying to be a criminal justice major right now. He is a criminal justice major amongst other things. Mm -hmm. And we kind of just connected right away. And I, believed so much in what Peace Talkers was doing. And just from my own past experiences, it was just an organization that I had to get behind. And I was really excited to start helping him get it going. And I wouldn't be here today without Chelsea. That, that's <laughs> for sure. Um, so it's the two of you basically, right? It's it. Running, yeah. <laughs> running the show. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I... Uh, Originally studied forensic psychology at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Um, was driven by some, you know, just like family history of some criminology, some mental illness. Um, and uh, I then ended up uh, working in juvenile justice, actually in Dallas County, Texas, um, for a few years. And um, I moved back to New York and became a New York City teaching fellow, um, which was like sort of an organization that brought people from other um industries into teaching um, and having the background in criminal justice, I both gravitated and was recruited, you know, to sort of lead in my schools pretty early on in my career, like social emotional development and discipline. Um, and I had a lot of training um, in de-escalation, uh, being that I worked in correctional facilities. And uh, I ended up uh, about four years ago leaving. I, I was an assistant principal of guidance. Um, and uh, assistant principal of safety and security, um, I left and to, to start start a business. Um, and this is, you know, I joke with, especially when I when I um, when I train at schools, I say uh, when I used to interview for admin jobs, I had to pretend that I cared about instruction in order to get the job. And now I don't have to pretend. Like my heart was always with the emotional development of the kids. Um, and that was what always drove my career. I was a decent history teacher, but you know, I still it was still the connection with the kids and. So going from history and, and regular administration principal stuff, the history, family history, that kind of drove the emotional part of it, of what you wanted to help with, with other. Yeah, 100%. Groups. Okay. I, I, you know, 
had a, my, my parents had a pretty tumultuous um, divorce. I ended up for most of my uh, childhood living separately from my parents. Uh, my mom went to Texas and my dad in New York. And, uh, you know, my mom took me to Texas without really permission. And it was pretty a messy situation, some trauma. Um, and uh, I started in therapy at about age 16. And, you know, if you work both in the juvenile justice and in, you know, and, you know, the, the I, I almost said if you work in schools, um, you know, of, of socioeconomic need, you see a lot. But I worked in all types of schools and, you know, the need for more support um, on the mental health uh, level is just actually appalling, to be honest. So New York, has it it's had that kind of support for a long time? Because here in Kentucky, or I live in Kentucky, in Cincinnati, it's just starting to get, they're starting to put mental health counselors in with guidance counselors and starting some programs, but it's not, it's not totally in vogue yet. So is it, is New York had it for a long time? I was there for the transformation. Um, New York City public high schools were averaging about a 50% graduation rate around 2005 and you know as a as a whole so the school that i ended up spending most of my career at uh wingate high school in uh in crown heights brooklyn um had a 40 percent graduation rate in 2007 it was broken up into four small learning communities and those that movement of small learning communities is where a lot of the ideas now that you see um, in the social emotional learning it's where they started this idea of having one point person for each student um, to be a social emotional uh, to, to be a social emotional support for that student um, you know I went from teaching classes of 30 up to 34 kids to teaching classes of 16 so New York City definitely made an investment the Gates Foundation helped um, there started to be an emergence of charter schools and they ended up sort of being incubators for a lot of what you're seeing but I was lucky to be there when it happened. So a proactive approach or was it reactive to things that were happening? The ideal was that it was going to be proactive. Um, the reality of a school day and the reality of a school year makes a lot of your day reactive. Um, but, you know, like, for example, we had a practice at our school called Kid Talk where the grade team every had a structured conversation about struggling students um once or twice a week at our team meetings like so there was structure there that was definitely driving the changing the changes but as the dean my i was the dean um you know a lot of my day was re reactive i can't but sure but it was such a it was such a different mindset than like let's say I grew up with you know what I mean so even even though I might have been reacting once I had the young man or lady in my office you know there was a structure to help them there was a, a amazing guidance counselor there was um, two actually there was two guidance counselors for a school of sorry guidance counselor and two social workers for a school of I don't know three hundred and fifty tops um, so that that ratio alone was you know. And plus, every teacher was invested in it. it would, there was no one had the attitude, this is not my job. Really? I teach math. You know what I mean? And if I no. could just interject sure, no. and make a connection more to peace talkers. So now it's great. You know, kids are getting help from their teachers. They're getting support in schools. But they go home to their parents and it's like everything they learn during the day goes out the window because a lot of parents aren't equipped to help them. 
And, you know, me personally, my parents were pulling their hair out half the time because I was getting the help I needed. And then they were at a loss with how to support me and, you know, what they could do to help themselves. Lack of education. Exactly. And, you know, you're not supposed to just know what to do in situations like that. You need to learn. You have to adapt. You can't just, you know, say, oh, it's going to be okay. You go to therapy one hour a week. You know, it has to be everyone around you supporting you. So, where did you grow up? I grew up in West Islip. So that's New York. In Suffolk County, yes. Um, so, did you have all the stuff that John's talking about as far as support and growing up in school? And so, interestingly enough, I didn't need any support until I was about 18. And I'm not sure what was available in my school. I know we had guidance counselors. We had, um, like, I know some kids would go and speak to them about different problems. But yeah, luckily I didn't need anything until. What was the programming in the school? I'm I'm not sure. I okay. feel like there wasn't because okay. I think we would have, you know, I probably would have went at some points just because. Yeah. You know, I didn't. Yeah, to to just put a like an industry perspective on it, I guess if you call it to talk about education as an industry, the suburban schools around New York City, which I had the opportunity to work in for the last three years of my career, they are way behind New York City. Um, New York City is much more innovative instructionally, social, emotionally. You know, I was meditating with kids in 2007 in New York City, and I recently got a text about a year ago, uh, a fellow administrator in Long Island, uh, where Chelsea and I grew up and live, and she was like, oh, I'm at a, I'm at a, uh, a PD, a professional development about meditating. I thought of you. You know what I mean? But this was 10 years later, you know? So definitely uh, the wheels of change. And there's so much research in education that explains that, and it's really just all about why would you change something if you ha- if you are the rulers of the society already, you know? And that's why there's so much change in New York City because we're trying to f- we were trying to figure out what was going to work. When you have a 40% graduation rate, you need to change. When you have a 98% graduation rate, why would we change anything? You know, very interesting. So, yeah, the wheel. There's a, there's quite a few writings, uh, quite a few educational researchers that focus on that. Uh, mm. I don't want to say a name because I don't want to get there. No, right. no, no, <laughs> sure. But that's because where I grew up and around northern Kentucky, the numbers are very good. Like where I went to school is a state, you know, blue ribbon school for grades and numbers and, and all that stuff. Uh, yet we don't have anything that I know of to support this kind of stuff, at least not in bulk or enough to support, you know, the, the numbers. But I was talking to somebody. Uh, so suicide is a very big uh, thing for me, just an interest. Haven't been through it, but an interest. And uh, there's a lot of schools that are uh, starting these hope, it's called a hope squad. And Ohio's got 100 plus, I think. And, and it's kind of a, it's a full program. Parents are involved. The administration gets fully trained, but it's a peer-based thing. So, so the kids are helping each other through this stuff. And uh, I really would like to see that uh, in our area of Kentucky. Northern Kentucky doesn't really have much in the way of that yet. But for it to be a proactive thing versus a reactive thing, when you go, th- when you got to go through it and then scramble to get something on paper in a program, that's just not, not the way to, to go about it. But like you said, if things are working and – on the surface, it, you know, on the sur- yeah. for sure, I, I, for sure. I was 
I, I had a culture shock, honestly, when I went from, you know, Brooklyn to, you know, affluent Long Island. I never, I literally never dealt with a student who, in a self-harm perspective, from a self-harm perspective, like cutting and and eating disorders. Like, that wasn't an issue in Brooklyn. I was dealing with Crips and, you know, like... Dealing, I knew which gangs I was dealing with. I knew, you know, I was dealing with much different, still trauma-based um, problems, but I never even, I, you know, the first time I literally had to like close the door of the school psychologist's office and be like, all right, talk to me about the cutting, you know, because I didn't understand the pathology of it. I'd never been exposed to it. Yeah. Is it working? All this stuff that's, uh, peace talkers aside, just the yeah. things that are in schools, so, I mean, aside from the graduation rate, you know, one of the things my wife and I talk about all the time, and this is, and she's an educator for 20 years also. Um, and she works in a very interesting district. She works in a very low socioeconomic district, um, where most of the students are Spanish speaking from Central America, but it's in the middle of affluent Long Island. It's an interesting neighborhood. And, um, one of the things we talk about is that the, and I, even our kids, I have a seven year old and a 13 year old, and they do have more tools than we had. I mean, you know, even just my, 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 my middle school son's attitude towards bullying and it's, it's just, everything's more on the surface. You know what I mean? Like he talks to us more than I talked to my parents when I was 14. I'll tell you that. And even for me, I'm going back to school, uh, after 10 years and there's, um, there's, it's so much more out in the open, you know, and I could have really benefited from the help I needed when things started happening when I was first in school, you know, instead of dropping out for a few years and getting myself better um, if I had the tools that they learn now. It's crazy. Everyone just seems a lot nicer. Um, they have, again, yoga, you know, time out. The one day they brought in all these um, therapy dogs. It was during finals. So if you uh, wanted... Of, of what you're doing now? College? School now? Oh, or yeah. Back no, in school the day. now, yeah. Okay. Back really? in the day, yeah. Back in the day, it was really still, you know... I went to the health center because I was sleeping all the time and she, for some reason, was like, oh, you're anxious. Take some Klonopin. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. So now I <laughs> I can't really move and my mind is numb right. and I'm sleeping more. And it was crazy. And, you know, my friends, they were like, oh, that's so cool. You just got, you know, prescribed Klonopin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't Share. Even, yeah. You know, I'm like, like, I don't even, <laughs> I don't think I need this. Right. And, you know, if that was to happen today... You know, before I go on any medication, it's blood work. You know, they don't just hand you things. <laughs> right. And that's getting a lot better. It's still out there. But, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, getting prescribed meds. And, oh, my you know, gosh. <laughs> you know, I call it slinging scripts. You know, it's Crazy. whatever you want to try. You know, there's always a new med to to do that stuff. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot. I You know, if I went, let's say if I was 18 and went to the health center, um, you know, tomorrow for school, I don't think that they would just you know, hand me medication. I'm pretty sure they would talk about therapy first or see Assessment. what they could help. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which is good for the future of, you know, right. kids. So So you have a vested interest in what John's doing. Yes. As far as, you know, having a little history and mm -hmm. yeah. So it's just nice to be able to like, I was so lucky. My family was always so supportive, but so many people don't have that. And then that's when things get, you know, really bad. So I always want to be the voice for people who need help. You know, that's why, you know, criminal justice interests me. I want to go to law school, help the people who can't help themselves. And yeah, that's why I really enjoy Peace Talkers, because if you could just take 
certain situations and control them more. If people knew how to react better in different um, environments, it would help so many people. And, you know, you don't have to grow up certain ways. Yeah. I was speaking of people being nicer. I was talking to my niece yesterday, who's 18, and uh, she said that social media is, is still a problem. But again, it's on the surface stuff. It's not physical physical bullying taking you out and kicking your butt behind the school but it's more superficial hiding behind a keyboard which can be just as detrimental but hopefully as things i just think what new york is doing from what you say is just huge and and especially having been doing it for 10 plus years getting out in front of it i think is i think is just amazing uh okay so let's talk let's define escalation and just where that term comes from and what it is and how you've seen it and everything. Yeah. The way, uh, the course that I teach, the way I define it basically is, um, first of all, when someone, and when an individual is becoming escalated, what I teach, uh, both schools and parents is, uh, we need to view that person as someone in need of support, not someone in need of your compliance <laughs> or, or you know what I mean of, of compliance or, or punishment yeah. and yes and I do a lot around um, uh, positive behavioral support which positive behavioral support differentiates between punishment and negative reinforcement which even a school that I trained last week it was my final day of four training them and at the beginning of the lesson I started discussing the difference and you know there was educators that have been educators for 20 years and they didn't know the difference between, you know, withholding a stimulus or p giving a negative stimulus, um, the difference between negative reinforcement and, and, and punishment. And, you know, you know, and, and it's a controversial issue even in the very progressive schools in New York city, because they're really trying to almost eliminate suspension. So, you know, they're, but they have to replace it with some sort of restorative model in order for that to be a reality. Um, and, you know, there's always going to be a camp. I mean, any change, right? There's always going to be, you know, when you're, when you're a school administrator, they tell you like, you know, there's always going to be 20% 20, 20 of people you're never going to get to buy in, you know, um, which I don't find at a lot of the schools that, I guess the schools that would hire me <laughs> aren't the schools where you're going to find a whole 20% that, that yeah. wouldn't buy in. Right. Um, but I think I got off track. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, yeah. that's, no, that's good. So, uh, so what is the difference between negative reinforcement and punishment? So positive reinforcement. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, no, no, no. So positive reinforcement is, you know, a reward, basically giving a reward to shape behavior where you want it to go to replace uh, an undesirable behavior with a desirable behavior. But in order to do that, you have to give them a replacement behavior. So you have to give the student or child a replacement behavior that's going to pay off the exact same dividend. Okay. So, um, an example I actually used last week when I was, uh, or this week it was, yeah. it was only yeah. two days was ago. Only two days I wasn't going to correct it feels you. Like, it feels like a month but ago. It was two um, days ago. <laughs> uh, Chelsea happened to be in the classroom with me that day. And, um, the, the, the example I gave was, you know, a student who has grown up with another student. I'm um, in New York city. Kids go all over the place starting in middle school. They can take public transportation. It's crazy. They can take the subway to like a different part of the city to go to a middle school. So this kid happened to have my made up kid, uh, Charlie happens to have a, a friend in the school that is from his neighborhood, but his neighborhood's far away. And it's his only friend from his neighborhood that he knew in elementary school. And he only sees that kid once a day. And every time he goes into the class where they're together, he ends up taking part in some innocuous, but dangerous roughhouse 
housing. Okay. So you don't want to, it's never going to work to try to shape the behavior to just get them to come in, sit down quietly and start his work. You have to replace that physical contact, that real emotional reaction that they're having to each other. So like the example I use for the teachers is, and you've probably seen YouTube videos around this, um, have them come at a time, uh, like after lunch or something and make up a handshake, an intimate contact, physical contact that they can replace that rough housing with. So I'm sorry. So the way no. that you shape the behavior is, you know, best, the best way to do it is through positive reinforcement. But if you have to, rather than saying, listen, you got to come here for lunch for detention, just say, you're not getting that positive stimulus. That's negative reinforcement. And then the punishment would be if you said, Hey, you have to come here for, for lunch. And that's obvi obviously has a place, but it should be the last, uh, last tool in your toolbox. Right. Because I would think it would be, so do you work with middle schools, high schools? Yeah. Okay. So I think it would be more challenging in those environments rather than trying to get a, I have a six-year-old, trying to get a <laughs> six-year-old to do something and give him a cookie. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like those, those behaviors and those rewards are probably, so what are some other examples of what, what you provide or what you teach to, you know, people to provide to an 18 year old? Um, so the so beginning of the course is so if they it depends on which module it's four modules so most people buy everyone buys the first module but then some of them will buy the second or not the first module is strictly de-escalation and crisis intervention it's about that moment when things are about to get out of control what can we do and say our body language um, what not to do and say also and I think what's unique about the course is that well, at least for other courses I've seen, is that um, about two-thirds of it is not about the student or the client. It's about them, okay? It's about what they're bringing to the contact. And I think anybody, you could talk to anyone that's worked in a mental health facility or a school, and I think they'll agree that a, a lot of times they'll watch their colleagues escalate something, you know, because we all carry our day with us and, you know, right. whatever it is that we're carrying around. Um, so then I get, then the end of that day is some very, you know, practical de-escalation techniques. And then the second day is advanced de-escalation, but also this positive behavioral support that I just described. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that a brawl's about to break out or somebody's going to... Yeah. No, I, I did a homeless shelter not too long ago, um, and the biggest problem they have is when people don't have socks. Like, they flip about socks. You okay. know, that, and it's funny. There's that there's that commercial for that sock company where they talk about that, and it was kind of funny for the social workers to say, "Yeah, that's a real problem. Um, when there's a shortage of socks, someone will flip." You know, especially this place was in Connecticut, so it's cold. Um, so yeah, no, it doesn't have to be something altercation. Yeah. They're rare, even in, you know. But it's all preventative. Yes. It's yeah. you, I think what Trevor was getting at is it's you teach, you learn before you have a problem. So it's preventative measures. So if you see something about to happen or a buildup, it could even be over, you know, you see a change in a child or however old over the course of a few weeks, you know what to look for. So with those tools, instead of letting it get to that explosive you know, moment, there are so many other ways you can take the time to, you know, control the situation before you need to use, you know. Well, de-escalation, so I teach that de-escalation starts, de-escalation is happening all the time. So, I mean, you know, and this is going back 20 years when I first started teaching, but like, and it makes a huge difference between a teacher who is at their desk, 
fumbling with papers and trying to get ready for the lesson while the kids are coming in, the environment of that classroom is going to be very different if that teacher is at the door greeting the students. You know, that that's de-escalation. You know what I mean? Like um, Getting you know, them in the right frame of mind yeah, to yeah, yeah. Yeah, have a I mean, positive the, experience. Yeah, I mean, and then the, I mean, wow. I, I taught uh, one semester. Uh, it was actually an action research paper that I wrote about med- like bringing meditation in to try to help relieve the stress that students have around literacy. And we identified... Um, the, you know, probably the worst readers in 11th grade and the way we did it was they had never passed a state test, basically, um, that were graduation requirements. And uh, they were already in 11th grade. They needed to pass five to graduate. So, uh, I mean, just bringing in mindful breathing to the beginning of that, like we created, me and Barbara, now Dr. Conliffe, um, was my partner in that. Um, we created uh, people who loved reading. <laughs> you know, like I don't, you know, they all ended up graduating. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Then that was a great feeling. But like it was a better feeling when like a teacher would come and be like, I just saw Michael reading on the subway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was amazing. Um, yeah. And it was all about their stress around this activity that had they've been told they're not good at for their whole life, you know? Right. And ultimately having them be able to identify and say, hey, I'm a, I'm having a moment go down and talk to the counselor so they can de-escalate themselves and say, I need to remove myself from the situation, know that they're a ball of nerves and go use the resources in addition to having the teacher kind of be able to see that out and stuff. Yeah. I mean, one of the practices in the most progressive schools of the day of today um, is something called circles and it's part of restorative justice. And that's where students are, for that moment at least, equal to the teacher. And they're able to confront the teacher about how they felt during during the contact. Um, and, you know, and I, I've worked with teachers in schools who love the practice, you know what I mean? Because they're able to, as practitioners, look at the at what they're doing. Um, I talk a little bit in my course about something called postvention, where when there is an incident, are we crunching the data as an organization to try to prevent? Because Another thing you'll be told by longtime educators and human service workers is you often deal with the same problems over and over again with the same people over and over again. Yeah. So. And and they, so they do dig into data or you're trying to teach. You're trying to encourage it. But no, I mean, that was I mean, and that was even part of the reforms, uh, you know, of of the mid what are they what are we calling them? The mid ones or something? <laughs> 2007. Or, yeah. um, that was much a very big part of it. And it, it came from the private sector. And there was some resentment, especially among teachers unions and, you know, old timers, I guess you'd say. But data driven instruction and data driven schools is is a thing. You know, it happened in police departments, too, you know, um, and it has a place, certainly. And it, because traditionally behavioral health, it's hard to get data hard to quantify whether it's working, you know, because you come out of rehab or you come out of some um, program and the the uh, team will check in on you after a few weeks and see how you're doing. But after a while, you lose sight of who's gone back out or who's still struggling. So uh, hopefully that'll somehow be part of it to, to figure out, aside from you know, being able to, yeah. I mean, there's some obvious things with, you know, Grades are better, graduation rates are better, and, and things like that. But you know, but being able to quantify and get data around it really would help. Well, you know, one of the things that I think hurts the retention problem with teachers throughout the nation 
um, because it's talked about in the lounge, you know, uh, during free periods the most is how are we going to solve all of the problems of society, you know? And, you know, when you're only given instructional tools, it's really impossible. At least if you're given some social emotional tools, then you might actually be able to start addressing things. Um, but, you know, it goes to economics, it goes to race, it goes to thousands of factors, you know, that the teachers of this country, I can tell you from experience, they feel that the society is putting too much of that on them. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about peace talkers. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and just give some. You you mentioned briefly, you know, how you you left and your interest lied in starting your own company. But let's just talk about what it is again and exactly what you offer. Yeah, so I offer, like I said, de-escalation and crisis intervention courses, not only to schools, but uh, we actually have a. Uh, a uh, coffee shop lined up for February um, that's in Manhattan. Um, so private sector, that's, this is my first private sector, I'm not going to lie. Um, but, you know, uh, homeless shelters, human service agencies, um, schools, and Families. then that's the direction that we're headed. So I have a student, a uh, student, I have a child um, who has a neurological diagnosis. He's diagnosed ADHD. Um, he's been on medication now for about two years. Um, and my own experience as a parent <laughs> my own experience as a parent knowing what I know and still doing the wrong thing with my own kid you know motivated me to to start to seek out families to help um and there are a lot of, I mean we get a lot of calls like you know we're not even I mean we're not like it's not like we have a commercial right no, no. <laughs> Right. You know, I mean, and, and I you get a lot of calls and, and I get a help. lot of things that are over my head. I do. I get, I refer a lot of sure. families to counselors because I can hear that the situation That's is over still my head. providing a service. Yeah. Yeah. Hooking people up. But, um, I mean, if I, I'm trained as in law enforcement, in education, I have a degree in psychology. I have a degree in secondary education. I have a degree in, you know, school building leadership. Like I have a lot of training and a lot of experience. And there've been times when I didn't like myself the way that I reacted to my son. So, you know, and I know that's universal, but we have a daughter, we have a daughter with ADHD anxiety. And I know for a fact that we don't, there are more, you know, there's a lot of times where we're don't handle it the right way. And I think a lot of it, even though I've been involved and gone through the same thing she's going through, Mm -hmm. but still don't do the right thing. And, you know, you call it stress or whatever excuse and you fly off the handle or, um, yeah. So I think everybody, everybody could use parenting skills, whether there's a, whether there's a, um, a situation or diagnosed child with, you know, some specific thing, uh, because I think now is it's harder. There's more for whatever reason, more stress. People are going 90 miles an hour because, um, whatever it is. And parents put a lot of that on their kid with, you know, sports or academics or whatever it is. So I think it's, I just think it's a beautiful thing that what, A, what you're doing and B, you know, the, the, the potential it could have to help. Cause like you said, Chelsea, you go to school, you get the support, you're learning all these skills, coping skills, and then you go home and you're banging your head against the wall. And then it's a wash. Yep. And not, nothing gets accomplished. So being able to tandem that and provide parenting skills, uh, positive behavior, all that stuff is just 
so necessary and I don't, I don't think it happens very often. So, so how does that, how does that look? I mean, do you, uh, I use because a, it is a, ta- it is a tandem thing. Yeah. I use a lot of my curriculum from what I teach teachers. Um, you know, for most teachers, it's really a rehash, honestly. It's, and it even more so when I do, uh, uh, social service agencies, uh, we trained, uh, well, I, I don't know if I should say name. So, um, but even, you know, social workers certainly have even a deeper understanding of behaviorism. Um, but parents have none, you know what I mean? Um, so even just starting with like simple charts and, uh, you know, simple, the concept of positive reinforcement over timeout and, you know, things that are negative, um, and certainly yelling, understanding that, you know, you're getting nowhere. If you, if did you yell more than once today? Yes. So it didn't work. You're like, <laughs> you know, um, yes, you know, <laughs> yeah. And it just, it is what it is, you know, and, and being able to get those skills. So important. So, um, so you do schools, but then you go into homes. Yes. You also train. Yeah. And, and it's much more individualized. It's more sure. of almost like a consultation rather than like a course. Um, but, you know, I, I find out really where they're at. Um, and not all of them are dealing with escalation. Um, some of the students uh, or children have, uh, they might have ADD and not ADHD. So there's not that anxiety and that, that uh, well, there's still the anxiety, but there's certainly not the defiance and the oppositional aspect of it. Um, so in that case, we're talking about things like shaping behavior with positive reinforcement, you know, and it's, it's pretty new to most parents, you know, and even if they had a course in college, you know, about Pavlov, like, you know, it'll, it'll activate, but it, they never put those two things together most often. And a lot of parents too, um, it's hard to admit when you need help. Mm. So it's almost like seeking out services is, it's like a defeat, but it shouldn't be viewed as that. You know, there's nothing wrong with even if, you know, your child has no diagnosis and you just need maybe they're just. We have turned people away, though. I know. We, uh, we, we <laughs> sure. have. We're very honest. Like yeah. this one woman, it was almost like he's studying too much. Yeah. <laughs> like something. And we're like, no, that's good. Like, yeah. trust me, you don't need these services. Hyper, you know, hyper aware, yeah. you know, which is better than. Yeah. Better than, better than nothing. But um, yeah, I mean, the. You know, having the the hyperactivity part of it is is such a difference than just the you know the attention. So it needs to be it needs to be addressed. And having the parenting stuff, um, they need to understand that. And it's that stigma. That is stigma mm-hmm. when parents, you know, especially growing up. I mean, I had these issues, and I tried to talk to my dad, and it was I don't know, if it was it's lack it's lack of understanding, and there's a little bit of I'm not touching, you know, you're not anxious, you're not weird, we're good, yeah. rub some dirt on it, and let's just, you know, keep moving forward, when that's that's the worst thing that you can do. So education, it's a family, just like addiction, mental health is a family issue, and you've got to have everybody, everybody involved. Yeah. So yeah, I have the you, same diagnosis as my son, and yeah. I consider myself Genetics lucky. Are huge. Yeah, yeah. I, I consider myself lucky in that I'm so aware of it, um, and you know, I by no means like blame my parents at all for mm-hmm. anything. Right. I believe strongly that 99.9 percent of parents they do the best with what they can work, what they know, and what they can have to work with. Um, but uh, you know, it made the decision to medicate a little bit sooner. It made it a little easier. 
Um, it, I mean, I tell him now, you know, he's 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 gonna be eight in March, and I tell him now, I'm like, Daddy takes that too, you know, like when he gets a little resistant about the medicine. I'm like, Daddy takes something the same, you know, pretty similar, and you know, and uh, he still says I don't have ADHD. He does say he says it right to the therapist, um, but you know, he's he he's he's figuring it out, I think, and you know, obviously in those quiet moments with my wife, I have expressed a lot of anxiety around, I hope he doesn't deal. Cause I, you know, comorbidity, depression, drug abuse, all of those things go along with ADHD. And I experience them as someone with ADHD and that's my fear for my son. And, um, you know, my wife always reassure, reassures me, but we're so on top of it. We're so on top of it. And hopefully it won't be perfect, but hopefully yeah. it will be. Better. And it's, uh, it's, you know, I know we could definitely, use that and having gone through it it doesn't make it even though you're aware i don't know why it works that way but it doesn't mean that you're auto automatically gonna be the best at parenting that exactly. you know uh, and i assu i assume the same thing okay and, and i talk to her about it we have the same thing please come talk to me but then I'm screaming from downstairs, get up here, <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. just, it doesn't, you know, and that's another cancellation. What I just did, you know, she's saying, you know, you just, you're yelling, you know, which, yeah. so it's. But it's, the openness as contrasted to how you described your father is notable just in the yeah. best, you know, two minutes, you know. Right. So it's, uh, you know, we can do what we can do. So when you first, when you, how long you been in business? We, I've been doing this since 2017. And you made it sound like people are coming out of the woodwork asking for help. Yeah, we we just started with the parent market. Yeah. Um, when when we met, you know, it was almost marketed to us, right, by Long Island Parent. Kind of that's how that's how we kind of got into it. Um, I believe so, but I think also people were just looking at the website and asking, like, oh, would you be interested in doing something for families? Because it's you know it all goes hand in hand. Everybody could you know, use the same training. Um, and I think just personally, John and I had a bunch of people that we were close to and mm. they were the ones who asked like, oh, would this be something that yeah. we could use? So we had people that found out what, you know, when I described a little more and they were like, man, I could really benefit from that. And that's why we understand everyone's busy. So we try to offer the in-home services so we could, you know, he'll, He's gone to homes at eight o'clock at night because that's when they're all home and that's what's yeah. convenient. So, so do you two things before I forget them? Because if if the thought goes, it's yeah. gone. <laughs> do you invite parents to the school to be trained alongside their student, just so yeah, which would make it even better to come home and be able to work yeah. together? Yeah, no, I haven't come across an opportunity to create like a partnership like that. I offer to schools constantly and no one has taken me up on it yet, but I say I'll do a free one hour. No problem with your, with your parent, with your parents. Um, I, unfortunately that offer is taken less than we, we like it, you know yeah. I mean? But again, time, uh, you know, I guess everyone is busy. Um, but like, yeah, I mean this, one of the schools we trained this year, they broke my 10-hour course up into two and a half hours, which took some, I believe, efficacy out of out of it. But that was how they could do it. You know what I mean? Um, so we're flexible. And I just offered that principal yes. to do a parent workshop. And she actually seemed a little bit interested. So I, I think she was the one who suggested it because she was still, you know, she, she enjoyed it. She's like, okay, what's next? You know, yeah. where can we go from here? You, 
the course is done. Can we now yeah, she, modify? She like, said, can we just like send me an email? With, yeah. Send me yeah. an email with suggestions of how how we can continue to work together, which is awesome. I mean, last year I had a school that I trained the um, the uh, administration on election day. Uh, de-escalation and then I went back into that school for nine days and uh, did like a social emotional um, course that I just like wrote before the gig um, a nine uh, was it nine days or eight days mm-hmm. eight, eight day social emotional uh, gig with the whole ninth grade um, there's a class that all of them take and I ended up just replacing that teacher for for eight days and uh, it was awesome it was, you know it was, it was very rewarding so you know hopefully it'll you know I don't. I'm not opposed to doing anything custom. You know what I mean. Like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I have my set courses, but like I said, uh, I'll I'll write I'll write you a course if 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 uh, it'll help the kids. Because yeah. we've all been through countless trainings where you're motivated, man. This is great, and then you, the binder comes home and it's <laughs> put it on the shelf, <laughs> yep. and you don't ever touch yeah. it again. Yeah. It's out of sight, out of mind. So especially with something that's this important, um, you know, having a follow up or you know continued education. Uh, is great because I think it's human nature to rah rah in the beginning, and then it's you know it's a lot of work. So you just, but this is a subject that you don't want to do that with. So, um, so how is it? I mean, how are you seeing? Even though it's only been a couple of years, the fact that people are asking for help is huge, mm-hmm. which is showing that our society is. The stigma is getting better, and people are able to, you know, notice that they need help. Um, have you, with the parenting part of it, are you seeing the benefits of that? With the families that we work with, certainly, and also when we do an event where a promotional event, um, we like just if it's a four hour event mm-hmm. we're talking to people for four hours you know like people are people are interested and there's all i mean like you know we have a chance one of the organizations like it's really a marketing organization but one of the organizations that we work with you know they have like there's that woman that does like uh, helps parents uh with sleeping issues yeah. and you know what i mean like very a lot of specialized there's a uh, the other guy that does social emotional stuff mm-hmm. actually like at the he does it at like uh the they're they're mostly in Asian neighborhoods in New York where they're like these like test prep centers and he's going into these test prep centers and doing social emotional development because these top students have all this stress, you know, and they don't know how to deal with it. So I believe that it's a uh, something that's emerging for sure. And the, under, the understanding is that there needs to be more outside of the school as well. So in market research, have you found, are, are there other people, companies like yourself doing this? Because um, you could maybe see peace talkers as a peace talkers Pennsylvania, yeah, yeah. peace talkers <laughs> Kentucky. Yeah. You know, seriously. Oh, I, I think about it. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. Well, it's nice because there are there are like similar things, but we want to start a small network of you know group like local places where if we can't provide a service, we can say, oh, call so and so, because you know everybody should get exactly what they need, and there are you know, different organizations out there and we're not ones to just keep someone because, you know, we're being selfish and we want to help them. You know, if there's a better off place, then we would definitely like to just send them. Right. But we're not opposed to creating eventually a a instructor (laughs) certification course. Absolutely. Because, you know, taking it. Maybe Kentucky will uh, need one. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Kentucky needs one. I can tell you that Uh, just from my experience. Um, so what else, how can, how can people find you and wh- what else do you want? Well, our, our website is uh, peacetalkers.com, uh, fairly straightforward. Um, 
So there's, uh, you know, forms on there that you can fill out to get in touch with us. Um, psychology you today. Can, you can go into yeah. your principal's office. Yeah, we're, in, we're on psychology today. And also you can go into the principal's office of your school and request us. We'd be more than happy <laughs> um, to come and help the teachers uh, and the community that you live in. Um, if you know anybody who seems like they could benefit from a parenting course, you know, Now, do you do, call. I mean, is this, is this, I know now it's New York yeah. centric. Is the plan, I mean, yeah. you know, there's Skype now We've and there's talked about yeah. Zoom yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and all kinds of stuff because it's, you know, it doesn't, geography doesn't need to be a barrier. Right. You know? Yeah. Our beginning of the year meeting was, uh. An kind online of, course. Yeah, face, around yeah. an online course, but it's like, uh, uh, we're working. <laughs> right. So, you know, but you know how mm-hmm. it is to build a business. You know, we're, uh, we got to find that, we got to carve that time out. Right. But yeah, we've, we kicked it around a lot in January. This, he wants me month. to drop out of school. Yeah. So oh, I could badly. <laughs> work. So like, badly. No, not, <laughs> did that already. I'm trying to yeah. finish finally. Yeah. <laughs> so w- what is your advice to other, you know, school systems or areas where this is not, in vogue. I mean, the, the key, listen, everyone knows, we all know, at least on a subconscious level, that the best learning takes place in a place where a student feels good. That's, there's no question about it. Um, my, even myself as a teacher, I loved focusing on my classroom environment. Not a fancy teacher whatsoever when it came to lesson planning, um, but I was very effective uh, because I treated my student that might have been a G-Stone Crip exactly the same as my student who was on the honor roll um, and got great results. Yeah. So, you know, you know, just Cult- culture. Yeah. Provide, you know, yes. providing a culture. You know, our school does, you know, high five Fridays. And yeah. It doesn't have to be no. overthought. No. You know, something, you know. Uh, we have a new principal and a new uh, a new athletic director, and it's just the vibe has totally changed. You know, up on the roof of the school with the flag, and you know, as the as the kids get on the bus, whatever sport it is, because we're a football centric school, but you give everybody the love that they need, and yeah, I mean, just having them enter, like you said, having them enter a classroom, you know, between classes with a parent with a teacher that is at the door. Yeah. And high five and or yeah. whatever. Even you know, just saying and, good morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead yeah. of being on the chalkboard when they come in and getting right to work. So, yeah. Well, uh, I think what you guys are doing is is fabulous, and hopefully, peace talkers can be a franchise <laughs> franchise thing and to help a lot of other people. Because, like I said, I think South View, it's not it's not as um, yeah popular or you know there, there's still stigma involved in in addressing mental health yeah yeah and 100 and there's there's certainly you know it's still in new york too you know like definitely we have a long long way to go but hopefully you know and, and there's stigma with our government mm-hmm. and given funding to mental health and addiction it's not you know, when you go to a you know a mental health when you need help to go inpatient and it's 50 grand yeah. Oh, yeah. For a 28-day thing. And then it's kind of a pat you on the butt, good luck, keep in touch. Who can do that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, people mortgage their house. I've said this a thousand times. Mortgage their homes, take out retirements to try and help their child and hang their hat on that one thing to work. And that's not always no. going to be the case. It is ongoing and bridges and, and using, you know, support and 
peer support and, and whatever it is, because it's not a just like substance use, man. It is forever. You know, we can be maintained with our mental health, but it's not going to there's no magic you know, magic button that's going to turn it off. Yeah. I mean, if you cold called 20 psychiatrists in the New York metropolitan area and asked them if they took insurance, I would say that 18 of them would say no. Yeah. They don't even take insurance. And it's $150 an hour. You know what I mean? It's $150 an mm-hmm. hour. Like, I mean, it's even in the, the place where I go for uh, therapy, um, there is people that don't take insurance and they charge $100 an hour. Like, Licensed social workers. And the unfortunate thing is, too, you know, addiction and mental health, it goes hand in hand. And where do people end up? In jail. And they want to do, you know, all these uh, reforms. Just stop the problem at the beginning. (laughs) Get people help. Because most people who, you know, we were talking about something before. Most people who commit a crime, they don't just do it to do it. There's something else going on. Sure. So everything is so closely connected. You know, you can help people in schools. You can help them at home get them the mental health services they need and instead they, of sending them to jail yes. for 72 hours and then exactly back out with no skills nothing yeah it's it's not helping anything i think probably most of the people incarcerated right now have some sort of you know mental health issue that they haven't even addressed yet yes so if you know just as a country if we start just focusing it's like baby steps start when they're young then as you grow up you know everyone is if they're more educated about mental health or just more help is readily available, insurance yeah, is better. It's not rocket science. Yeah. You know, it really is not. Unfortunately, no, no it's hard to two, get people, you know. Two quick things about the, just, the criminal justice system that I just came across. Well, one of them from my time there, the program I worked in had a 47% recidivism rate within six months, and it was considered highly successful. So 47% of the the kids, they were kids, were rearrested within six months, and it was considered a highly successful program. And I just recently spoke to um, someone who came back from a shock treatment or shock incarceration experience, 18 months, I think, in upstate New York for, for New York State Department of Corrections. And um, she has a diagnosis, and she wasn't, re- she wasn't allowed to take her medicine while she was at a shock camp under yeah. the more, most stress of her entire life, and she wasn't allowed to take her medication. You know, and, like, and, and that's psych, ignorance, and straight psych, ignorance. Yeah. It, well, it's also <laughs> malpractice. Yeah. yeah. You know, psych meds, yeah. you know, some of them, you stop a cold turkey, man, it can kill you. Yeah. You know, and it's also good to hear that, you know, in college environment, that this is becoming more, you know, more support. So yeah, it's getting better. It's just slow. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we can continue. But I want to thank you both for thank being you. here and uh, you're doing great work and uh, hopefully it'll spread not only in new york but maybe you know south and west and east you know we can all get a little bit better so thank you guys thank Thank you so much for having us awesome thank you thanks for listening i want to thank everyone that makes this show possible production by gwen sound artwork by neltner small batch and photography by john willis and lindsey steinhauser please subscribe rate and write a review Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com.